This is a great place to be on January the 1st in the house of God to receive some instruction this upcoming year. I want you to know that there was a lot, this is a very precious uh, sermon for me because there was a lot of heat put on me this past week because I was thinking this is the first day of the year and uh, people will have stayed up late on Saturday night and they'll still come to church and you better have something good. Oh man. So I put that pressure on myself this past week. I better have something good today because you had a late night, a lot of celebrating, and you still came here this morning, and I just am depending upon the Holy Spirit today like never before. Stand with me. Also, this has been very, very popular in our church the last few years. We have gotten these devotional planners from the Bible League of Canada. We've purchased them. The church has bought these to pass out to you. Free, no charge, and so they are available in the foyer between the two doors as you leave in the track rack. Pick them up. They're a devotional planner for 2012, not 2011. We didn't get a special deal on them. Pass them off to you. We paid top dollar. 2012, they are current, and they're there for you. Thank you, God, today for this great day that you've given us. The first day of 2012, and we're together in the house of God. We're hungry for you. We want to hear your voice. We want some direction. We want some help because, God, we want 2012 to be a very, very significant and special year. God, it's not like any other year, but it's fresh. It's new. It is a brand new page. And for some of us, God, there are some things that we have chosen that we do not want to bring into 2012. That we've chosen to forget. And for those that are here this morning that need to forget some things... I do pray that your word would speak clear to their lives and that there would be a brand new start to this incredible new year of 2012. We never thought we'd be here. Some said it's going to be over in 2000. We are concerned about turning into the year of 2000 because of maybe with the end. Now it's 2012. Twelve years have passed. And Lord, I pray that this year would be a very, very special year. Pray, I pray, God, for your word as it goes forward this morning, that it would indeed transform our lives. Amen. You may be seated. December and January. When you think of those two months, and I've given some thought to those two months this past week, there are no two other months of the year that are so close, yet they are so far apart. There are no two other months of the year that are so unique and as unique as these two months are. December 2011 and January 2012 are separated by just one second. One second. So close, but they are one year apart. Now, when you think of December and January, in my mind, I think that those are transitional months in December We're saying Merry Christmas to everyone that we see, even those that we don't know. We say Merry Christmas. But in January, we're saying Happy New Year. In December, we're on on a spending spree with joy. We buy, 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 buy. In January, (laughs) in tears, we're trying to figure out how to pay for all those gifts. I heard last week that the worst gift givers are those that give gifts, relatives giving gifts to relatives. They said they're the worst gift givers there is. 
They ought to get the best gifts, but they give the worst. Among relatives. In December, we're happy to see visiting relatives. Oh, we're so happy that you came. In January, we're so glad they left. Glad they came, but it was happier to see them go. It's like fish. After three days, it begins to stink, right? Getting together with relatives. <laughs> well, in December, we lose our schedules. In January, we try to find them. In December, it's eat, drink, and gain weight. In January, it's guilt, diets, treadmills, and exercise plans. Do you realize that on Boxing Day, or the latest flyer for a Canadian Tire had all kinds of treadmills on there? And I said, what a great time. They're smart. Because in January, we're going to be needing those treadmills. Not me, but some people. In December, we become reflective. We begin to think back over the past year, think of the accomplishments, things that we've done. But in January, we become anticipators. We dream about a new year, this brand new year that lies ahead of, of us and ahead of me. What will it be? No, there's no other two months back to back like December and January. So it's January 1, 2012, and as I said earlier, now you're going to hear probably for about the next three weeks, people saying to you, Happy New Year. So have you given much thought to this? What will it take for you to have a happy new year? Have you sat down and began to consider it? Making New Year's resolutions. Some say, well, maybe I can have a happy new year if I drum up and draw up some New Year's resolutions. They last between 14 and 17 days on the average. But here's what I want to present to you this morning. How about a philosophy for life? How about developing a philosophy for life? Maybe you're here and you say, well, I have a philosophy for my life. That's great. When was the last time you updated your philosophy for life? If January is a great time to rediscover who you are. Rediscover what your desires will be, what your purpose in life will be, what your focus will be, what your goals will be, what your pet projects will be, what will be the marks in life that you intend to leave behind, what will be your legacy. You've got to start now. If you want to leave a great legacy, you've got to make some goals and make some decisions right now to make a difference in someone else's life. Where will your energies and your commitments and your, your sacrifices, where will they be directed? Just who are you anyways? I was going to bring a big mirror here. Forgot it. Look at myself. Who's the guy in the mirror? Who are you? What will it take to get where you know you should be going? What will your action be? Decisions are so much easier to make if we first have a philosophy for our lives all figured out. We're not going to have problems making certain decisions if we have a philosophy working for us. Now, we're great at planning vacations. We spend years, months, long time planning vacations and planning weddings and planning to build a home. But we're not so great with knowing who we are and what our purpose for breathing is. Our philosophy for life is, is those governing principles that's going to guide you, and there's those principles that's going to explain to people who you are. It's your life foundation that you build your life upon. 
And they can be as detailed as you want them to be. Having a philosophy for life has incredible benefits. It's the rails that you're going to ride on. It sticks you to the main thing in your life. Some people burn out and they run ragged because they don't know who they are. They don't know where they're going. And so they leave it up to other people to tell them what to do and tell them where to go. And so that's why they are run ragged and burnt out. They don't know themselves. So someone says, run here, run there, do this, do that. And they fry. They don't know who they are. But a philosophy for your life enables you to be more decisive in the decisions you have to make. Yes, this fits with my philosophy for life. Or no, this doesn't fit. And so we say no to this. We say yes to this. A philosophy for life enables you to measure your progress and measure your effectiveness. As I was preparing for this message last week, I began to think about my father. And I've never seen a philosophy written down that my father had for his life. I'd never seen it on paper, but I did see it in the way he lived. There's no doubt that my dad had a philosophy for life that was clear to us as children. And there are four things that really I knew was my father's philosophy for life. Number one was this, love the Lord my God with all my heart. There's no doubt in my mind that that was dad's number one thing. Love God with everything. Everything. Yes, love God with his wallet. And if you ask me, how did your father proved to you that the Lord was number one. Right here, right here. Because they say this is the last thing that people surrender to God. You can say you love God, but do you show you love God? Same with my mother. She put her purse on the table right here. That's how she proved that God was number one. The last thing people want to give to God is what's owed to him, and that's 10%. And I remember on Saturday nights, my mom and dad sitting at the table, writing out the check with joy. And my father would give, and he loved to give to the church. He loved to see the work of God progress. He loved to be a part of the body of Christ in that way. It's my church. I support this church. I give my tithe, Lord's tithe, and my offerings. And my dad showed me this was one way, but many other ways. This is one way he proved that he loved his Lord. That was his philosophy. Number two. The second thing I've seen in my father was love my family. Love my family. He showed faithfulness. He showed commitment to my mother and to us as children. Love, compassion, understanding. There was no doubt that was on his list. Love my family. Number three was live the gospel. I never saw hypocrisy. In my father, he said, I'll live it out. I'm not going to just say it. I'm just not going to go to church. I'm not just going to tithe to give my offerings, but I'm going to live out the gospel. I saw the fruit of the spirit in action. There is no doubt that was part of my father's philosophy for life. I'm going to live the gospel. Number four, this really stood out to me as I watched my father live his life. Share. Share Jesus with whoever, not just whoever, but wherever and whenever. That was my dad. That was my father. I mean, in word and in song with his guitar. He'd get his guitar out and sing, up, sing those country and western tunes. 
songs he made. He's got books of songs he wrote that are still back home somewhere. I hope my mother still has them or my sister has them. But he would go to coffee shops and he'd sing the gospel where they're drinking coffee. He'd go to other places where they're drinking other things. And he'd also go in there and play his guitar. And he'd share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He would take country and western songs. He had some, some artists that he loved to listen to. Hank Snow was one of them. My father remembered Hank Snow when he was growing up because Hank Snow was from the east as well. And dad would see Hank Snow when he was young. He'd come to the parties that my father used to go to back then, way back then. He had a little white suit on, he said, because he was a little guy. My father would gospelize the songs. The hit songs on the radio, he changed the words totally. And he'd write to them and say, now the tune is great, but here's the words you should have. And he'd gospelize them. He'd put the gospel in the songs, send it back to them. And they'd send him back, send back to him an autographed picture, signed. But dad said, I got the gospel message to them. That was my father. There's no doubt that was his philosophy for life. How we're driving in the car, and when mom and dad would see someone walking down the street, they always had tracks laying in the car on the dash, and they'd throw one out the window. Someone's, someone may not know Jesus. Now you'd be charged for littering. Mom would say, quick, Stedman, throw a track out the window. There's somebody walking. That's my dad, my mom. Whenever there's a crusade taking place in the church, my father would always plaster his car with posters. The crusade taking place. Gospel. Gospel message. People need to know who Jesus is. If he got someone in his car, I told you before, he had them cornered. And he'd share Jesus with them. Back then, camps were evangelistic in nature. My father would take people to camp. They'd get saved. Take them to church. They'd get saved. That was part of my father's philosophy for life. Share Jesus with whoever and whenever. I wonder if you have a philosophy for your life. For 2012 and beyond. Now you know that my annual New Year's passage I speak from is Philippians chapter 3. It's been that way since as long as I can remember. Philippians 3 is an incredible scripture to begin a brand new year thinking about. This past week as I read it again I thought... I want to, well, as I read it through, I said, Paul is sharing with us some great, a great philosophy for life. He's modeling something here for us. His philosophy for life oozes out in so many other passages. For example, Philippians 1 verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a great philosophy for life. The living is Christ. But dying is better yet. But as I breathe, I'm going to share Jesus. What a philosophy. No wonder the word joy keeps popping up as he read, or is he writing to the Philippian congregation while he's in jail. Joy, joy, joy is oozing out. He knew who he was. He knew what he was all about. He knew why he was breathing. See, joy is the state of your mind, not the state of your circumstances. Paul is in chains. Paul is in jail. And yet he's encouraging. Why? Because for me to live is Christ. For me to live is to share the good news with Jesus Christ to these soldiers who I'm chained to. 
That's why I have inner joy. I know who I am. I know what I'm all about. So let's get to this text here. Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 17. Greet these are fresh with me again in first year of 2000, first day of first, uh, first day of first Thessalonians. No, first day of 2012. Chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already attained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, verse 15, who are mature should take such a view of things And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Two things immediately jumped out at me as I read this passage again last week. The first one is this. Live up to what we've already attained. Live up to it. Chapter 3, verse 16. As Christians, we have a treasure. Our treasure is the Lord Jesus Christ. We found the treasure. Not only that, but now we have a position. Our treasure is Jesus Christ. Our position, as the Bible says, we are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a position. Salvation has come to us. And because salvation has come to you and I, there are some basics that ought to come out of this. Some fruit, some distinctives, some characteristics, some no-brainers. So that stands out to me. Let's live up to what we've already attained. We've got something here. Secondly, follow my example. This one really causes some thought for me. Follow my example. Paul is saying, if you're looking for a good philosophy of life to model, he's saying you might want to consider mine. Hmm. You might want to consider mine as a good start for you to develop your own philosophy of life. Wow. Are you at the place where you could say, if you're looking for a good philosophy of life, follow me for a bit. Step behind me and follow my direction. Watch me in what I do. Watch me as I drive downtown. Watch me as I buy grocery items from the store. Watch me as I interact with people. If you want a good philosophy of life, watch what I'm doing, where I work, the things I do afterward. Wow, that's a big one. You have to have the goods first, don't you? Would would you be as bold as to say that? Follow me. I'll be your guide. You got to have the goods. You got to have some direction. You got to have some character. You've got to know who you are. You've got to have some clear non-negotiables. I will not negotiate this. This is who I am. This is where I stand. I shall not be moved. It's a great him to sing at times, I shall, I shall, I shall not be moved. It's a good, it's good to have a firm footing and a foundation. This is where I stand. Stands out to me. Follow my example. Okay, Paul, so, so you have, you got to tell us about how we get started in the development of our own philosophy for life. So you've said, Let's live up to what we've already attained. There's some things there. And secondly, you said, follow my example. But Paul, 
tell us about developing our own philosophy of life. Reveal some things. And there's some things here that, that I, as I read this passage again, that pop out. The first one is this. To begin with, there must be some activity in your heart. This is the unseen part of you. This is where people first don't see the evidence. But first, it works on the inside. There's got to be activity. There's got to, if, you're, if you're here this morning and you want to develop a philosophy for life or you want to update it if it's kind of gotten stale activity in your heart. There's got to be an inner restlessness or an uncontentment with the present, not sure who I am or where I'm going mindset. You've got to be restless with that, not content to stay in the same place. Too many people are followers. Too many people are content to settle for less in life. Too many people never teach or reach their full potential. There's so much God has for them, but they just don't want to reach up and take it. Too many people gravitate to the comfort zone and I'm settled here, I'm happier. Do you know what you're doing? No, but I'm settled. Do you know where you're going? No, but I'm settled. And they they gravitate to the comfort zone and they really don't get outside of that. Too many people are lost in life. Ronnie Millsap had a song out, Lost in the 50s. Sometimes we're lost in life. We don't know where we are. We don't know where we're going. I recently bought a car. I know that surprises you. It's a rollover. This one looks like it's been through a demolition derby. I saw it and I said, there's a challenge. My greatest challenge to date. Why? I don't know why I did this. Anyways, it's a rollover, and it didn't have much snow to give it that cushion, you know. So it's banged up pretty good. I think the door is okay, the one door. So this car is a rollover. I get it home, get it in my garage, and I start tinkering with it. Everything got stirred up in this rollover. Dirt, papers that were stuffed and lodged in places are everywhere in the car. There's money everywhere. That's good. I took the fender off and found a quarter under the fender. That's how things got stirred up. So I said, there might be more. So I was searching around. I think I made two bucks already. Sir, I find the most amazing things. My, my garage is a workplace. Not very big, but it's a workplace. And, and, and there comes a time when I need to go and sweep. Sweep. There's dust everywhere. What I'm doing is I'm stirring up the settled-in dust. I'm stirring it up and I'm creating an atmosphere for change. And again, I find the most amazing things that I've lost, I find in the filth and the dust and the dirt. Oh, there it is. You find yourself. When you stir things up a bit, and with this car that was rolled over, you find some things. Sometimes we need a good interior shake-up. Sometimes we need a good, in a good way, rollover. I looked at, when I looked, before I bought this car, there were several other cars that I looked at 
first. And I looked at another one that obviously had a rollover and was now up on its wheels. And I saw a sign at the bottom of the passenger door, but it was upside down. Now I had to look this way to read it. And it said, we're all okay. We're all okay. So it was up on his roof somewhere and people driving by. We're all okay. That is so cute. We're all okay. You see, a good rollover is good for us. Stirs us up. It'll be okay. The stirring and the rattling, the noise and twists and turns. You've got to have an inside that's restless. I need something to change in my life. I need a good rollover. I need to stir up some dust. I need some activity in my life. I don't want things to stay the same old, same old. Last Wednesday, as I was preparing this sermon, putting it together, the phone rang. I lift up the phone. Good morning. Good good morning, I think it was. Good morning, Calvary Temple. Here's what I heard. How many have heard that one? Oh, they want me to go on a cruise again. I hung up. And I thought, well, I'll just put that right in my sermon this morning. Since it's preparation time, kind of flows. Time to take a trip. Time to take a cruise. Time for a change of scenery. Time for time to set sail into the future. Wow, I said, that'll fit. That'll fit in my sermon. Thank you. Next time they call, I'm going to speak to someone and thank them because I put them in my sermon on Sunday, even though I didn't take a cruise. But I'd like to, especially in January and February. Where was I here? Paul, you know what Paul would say? Paul would say, first on the inside of you, there, there's got to be some action. And you know something? Not just that there must be action. I talked about activity. But Paul would say, not just any action, but Paul would say, there's got to be some spiritual action. If you want to develop a philosophy for your life in 2012, there's got to be spiritual, spiritual Activity. I sense this in Paul as he writes to the saints at Philippi. He says this, I press on because I want to take hold. I press on because I want to take hold of God. You press into God so you can take hold of the best God has for you. You press in on prayer. You press in on Bible reading. You press in on attending church services. I want to be in the house of God because I want to learn. I want to worship. I want to cry out to God. I want to be with the body. And hopefully the pastor will have something good to say. Oh, the pressure on me this morning. You press in on joining a small group. Iron sharpens iron. I want to learn from somebody this year. I got some a spiritual appetite. And I want it to be wedded. Oh, get red hot spiritually and get a red hot appetite. And there's going to be some action. Notice what Paul says about this spiritual activity. Philippians chapter 3, 7 to 10. He says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for those whose sake I have lost all things. I consider everything else rubbish that I may gain Christ. Wow. And be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and 
is by faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. Wow. Paul is talking about some spiritual activity. He's talking about some changes taking place. He's not first saying, if you want to develop a philosophy for your life, he's not first saying, look at yourself and look at your own fleshly desires and wants. He's saying this, to start, your start begins with looking up to Jesus. That's, that's what's different than any other philosophy the world might have. In God's kingdom, the first thing we do is we look to him. The first place we start is not with us, but with God. We look up and say, God, what do you want? We look up and say, God, I'm hungry for you. This spiritual, this activity must be spiritual in nature. It's not just any activity. It's spiritual activity. God first. Starts inside your heart. You get stirred up, fired up, and you get hungry for God. Hungry to do something great. Okay, I've covered it. Number two. In the development of a philosophy for your life, there's got to be discipline in your mind. The Bible says you're exactly what you think. I love watching classic boxing matches, and I watch them every opportunity I get. Last week I watched a bout that took place quite a while ago between Sugar Ray Robinson, no, Sugar Ray Leonard, and marvelous Marvin Hagler. It was entitled The Super Fight. I forget what date it was. The Super Fight. Ray Leonard came out of retirement because many times, or a few times, he said, I'm going to retire. You go to retirement, come back in. So he watched marvelous Marvin Hagler in a boat, and he said, hey, I can beat that guy. So he said, I'm going to come out of retirement, and I'm going to beat this guy. At this point in Sugar Ray Leonard's professional record, he had 34 fights. Marvelous Marvin Hagler had 62 fights. He was the favorite. Hagler was the favorite to win. Like four to one, odds. Then it reduced to three to one odds when the fight just begun. At the end of the bout, Sugar Ray Leonard beat marvelous Marvin Hagler. At the end of this bout, the commentator came back and he said this. He said, marvelous Marvin Hagler could never take that loss. He had so many victories, so many fights over the years, 62. He was so shattered. He was so defeated in his mind. They often say boxing is a mind game. That's why they stare at each other before they fight. Or that's why sometimes they don't make eye contact. It's a mind game. He was so deflated. He was so humiliated that he quit boxing, never put on boxing gloves again for the rest of his life. He went into acting. Never heard of him then, neither. He couldn't take it. Couldn't take the defeat. So all the past victories didn't amount to anything. He had trouble forgetting the loss that he incurred. What does Philippians 3 and verse 13 tell us? Forget what is behind and strain toward what's ahead. Strain toward. You've got to strain. You've got to work for it. This is the order for advancement. You gotta go, let go, 
to move on up. And Paul said, this is one thing I've learned. I've learned that I've got to do something. There's got to be some disciplines in my mind. There are many things I could bring in here about, I don't have the time, but all the awful things and terrible things that came against Paul that he had to forget. But he said, this is one thing I've learned to do pretty good in my life. I forget things. I know how to forget the mistakes. I forget the failures. I forget the blunders. I forget the misfires. I forget the flops and the duds and the mishaps. I forget the lost fights because I've had a few. I forget the rounds I've lost. And I want to fight again. I want to get back up on my feet and run the race. Discipline in his mind. It's so hard to forget the garbage. It's so hard to forget the situations that happened to you this past year of 2011. It's so hard to forget those that have wronged you. It's so hard to forget the hurts and the pains. But consider this. You'll never know who you are and what you can be and what you can achieve unless you're a good forgetter. Unless you're a good forgetter. You'll never be able to get a great philosophy of life working in you unless you're a good forgetter. Nothing will ruin a great philosophy for life like a great memory of the wrong stuff. Discipline moves you forward. Discipline of your mind saying, I am what I think and I want something great that God has for me more than just something written on paper. I want to strain for it. Now, if I'm going to strain for it, I've got to forget the stuff and the mistakes and the pains of the past. My philosophy for life you've got to be working for me. Number three. In the development of a philosophy for life in 2012, there's got to be delight in surrendering to the call of God. These words just leaped out at me again this week when Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 14, God has called me. Aren't those just incredible words? To think that God would put his hand upon you and you and you and you. He'd put his hand upon you and say, I'm calling you. Wow. I'm setting you apart. I want to use you. I want to flow my spirit through you. I want to throw my, flow my mission through you. I want to develop you. I want to build character in you. I've called you. I love those words. Paul accepted the call. He accepted the plan. He accepted the direction. Oh, the Bible says, to whom God has chosen. What great words those are. To whom God has chosen. In Romans 8 and 28 to 30, we read these words. Those he called. He also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. And then called according to his purpose. Great words. Conformed to the likeness of his son. Shaping us, changing us, molding us, making us. Delight. Surrendering to the call. I grew up hearing about the call of God as a young boy. Sitting in the pews. Called my mother last week and she said, you're five years old. You're sitting on the doorstep. You don't know this, but you're sitting on the doorstep and Dad and I are 
looking out the door at you, and you're sitting on the doorstep. I don't know why. But I said to Stedman, maybe God would call him into the ministry. Man, that touched my heart so much. Mom said that to me. Maybe God will call him into the ministry. Five-year-old boy sitting on the doorstep, playing with little toys. I didn't know that. Never knew that until Mom told me that last week. Maybe God will call you. It's not to the effect that maybe he'll call you. He will call you. But maybe it'll be to the ministry for me. But it'll be somewhere else for you. Maybe God will call you to go into computer science. Maybe God will call you to be a missionary somewhere. God always has a call. Always has a call. Your call will not be the same as mine. And that's what's so unique and special. Maybe God will call you to be a truck driver. Whatever the call is, You've got to surrender to the call. Surrender to it. God, God has a call on every life, every life. God's call is the best call you could hear. My mother also said something else to me. She said, remember when you came home when you were 15? You came home and said, Mom, I'm going to be a chef. <laughs> I said, no, I remember that. You said, we're gonna, I'm going to be a chef. Well, if that's what God called you to be, I was searching, trying to find out where I fit in in my life. Can I tell you this as I close? The way I discovered my philosophy for life was by first surrendering to the call. That's how I discovered. When I looked up and said, okay, God... I hear your call, I hear what you're saying, and, and I'm going to respond to it. When I responded to God's call and surrendered to him, I began then to get a philosophy for my life. Started with God. Started with God, then there had to be, of course, that activity in my heart, that stirring up. Then there had to also be the disciplines in my mind. If I, have not, if I didn't have a disciplined mind, I wouldn't be in the ministry today. I'd have quit a long time ago. Disciplines. Know what to forget. Know what to remember. Know who you are. Know where you're going. Oh, that would be my encouragement for you as we start 2012. Go somewhere, find a dark corner or light corner, find a pile of snow, sit on it, and just begin to look up. Just begin to call upon God. Say, Lord, I need some stirring. I need a new philosophy for my life in 2012. I'm not content with the old one, or maybe things get off base or off rail and you want to get back on. The first place you look is right here. Don't look this way. Look here. Look up. Say, God, what do you want for me to do? What do you want? What do you want? And surrender to it. Have a disciplined mind. And let there be activity churning inside that would move you forward. Stand with me, please. That's my prayer for you for 2012.
Thank you, Lord, this morning for this great day that you've given us. That we can come together, we can share together. There's nothing quite like the body of Christ coming together and opening up our minds, our hearts, and our lives and asking you to stir us, stir us. So God, I'm asking that for my friends and family here this morning that there would be a stirring. Stir them, Lord. Stir them. Let them know that there's more to life. For some, they need to hear that than what they're presently experiencing. God, I pray you'd help them with the disciplines in the mind. There are people here this morning that are having so much trouble forgetting. And because there's so much trouble forgetting, they're becoming slaves to people, slaves to circumstances, slaves to pain. And God, would you set them free this morning? Would you liberate their minds? Would you cause them to focus upon marvelous and wonderful and great things in the Lord? Cut them off, Lord, from those things that would harm them. Give them good disciplines. And I pray, God, as we begin this new year, that there would be a surrender to the call of God. Wherever that might be, whatever the cost would be, it'll be the best. Help us, God, in developing our own philosophy, your philosophy of life for us. Carrie, lead us in a song, and as we lead in, in a concluding song, I'd invite you, along with singing, if you just raise your hand, this is an act of surrender. As we're singing, just raise your hand, and maybe just want to take a look up. Let that be a statement that you're making that will begin this new year. I'm going to obey the Lord. I'm going to look up and do it His way. It's His philosophy for me. I invite you to do that as we sing, and then I'll conclude with a prayer. Just make that your prayer as we sing.
Thank you for the victories we shall attain. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are for the church today to build up the church, edify the church. Thank you, Lord, for the congregation, the gathering, as Hebrews says, gather together. Thank you, Lord, what happens when we meet and are together in the house of God. Be with us, God, as we go our ways this afternoon. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen.